Alright, we're going to finish up chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. Over the last couple of uh, chapters, we've seen some lengthy conversations and interactions between uh, Jesus and various people. The two that stand out to us in chapter 3 is a man by the name of Nicodemus. Chapter 4, we have a no-name woman. It's interesting just to look at the comparison and contrast between these characters. Um, One is full-blood Jew, one is not. One being male, one being female. One being righteous by man's standards. um, The other one being a social outcast. Um, And yet, with one of them... He has a, a good, a, a detailed, uh, at least for us, conversation about what true worshipers look like. It's not necessarily who we think it's going to be. It's going to, that's the Samaritan woman. And he tell, he has in part of the conversation, you need to bulldoze everything and start over and you need to be born again from above. And it's not the Samaritan woman. It's the righteous Pharisee Nicodemus. That he has to change his entire mindset and be be born again. But things that we do see that they have in common, they don't quite fully understand what Jesus is getting at with his with his way of speaking, with his teaching. Uh, they have a worldly lens. They do have some conclusions that that are right. Uh, they say, for example, John three verse. Uh, Verse 2, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And in chapter 4, verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. They know some things, but they don't see the, the full picture. And yet Jesus knows exactly what to say for each person to lead them to the truth. To the, uh, to the pure conclusion. And so uh, we see here, uh, as we're getting into chapter 4, that Jesus is telling this woman that this, uh, this middle wall of partition between the Jews and the rest of the nations is being removed and that there's going to be unity found in him. That he is the gift of of God that's being spoken of in chapter 4 verse 10 that he is the source of this running living water and she has finally found the bridegroom who's going to be faithful to her and that she that is that is worth being faithful to so uh, that's sort of a recap of chapter 4 so va- so far leading us through chapter 26 uh, we're going to now get into the second half um, Luke, if you wouldn't mind, read for us uh, John 4, verses 27 through the end of the chapter. Now at this very moment, his disciples came back. They were shocked because he was speaking with the woman. However, no one said, what do you want? Or, why are you speaking with her? And the woman left, the water jar, went up to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left town and began coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples began to say to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? He just said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me to complete his work. Don't you say there are four more months and then come to harvest? I tell you, look up. And see that the fields are already white for harvest. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. For in this instance the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified, who told me everything I ever did. So when those Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and because of his work, many more believed. They said to the woman, 
no longer moving because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the one that is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed there to Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen all the things he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, but they themselves had gone to the feast. Now he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. In Capernaum there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son, who was about to die. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my child dies. Jesus told him, Go home, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and set off home. While he was on the way, his slaves met him and told him that his son was going to live. And so he asked them the time when the condition began to improve. And they told him, Yesterday, one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that it was the very time Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed along with his entire household. Jesus did this as his second miraculous son when he returned from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so we sort of see the aftermath of this interaction between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. We'll sort of break it down into, into sections, uh, starting with verses 27 through... Uh, through 38. Uh, we see that this woman goes into town to share with others, and at the same time, his disciples are coming uh, back with with food apparently that they got from town. Uh, that's that's apparently their mission as to why they uh, why they went. And we see that in verse eight. What stands out to you in this as they're coming back and she's leaving? Well, they were just amazed that he was even spending time talking to the Samaritan woman, but yet they weren't willing to speak up and say anything about it. Right. Uh, they, they don't start talking to her um, or questioning her, and they dare not talk to uh, uh, or interrupt their teacher to say, well, what's, what's the reason for this? Um, uh, very interesting. Yeah, what else? Yes, boy. It's interesting that they are, they seem as confused as Nicodemus was, and as the woman at the well was initially, about who this was and, and what, uh, what he's been eating. Okay, yeah, they, they come back. They are confused as to what's going on. Not only why is he talking to her, but then this issue with, with food. Um, interesting in verse 28, she leaves to go, go into town. Um, and she goes and talks to, to people, this outcast, going out and publicly talking, trying to get everybody's attention. What do you make of... Of this, her, her leaving and going in. Yes, Lloyd. I appreciate that word, that urgency. Is the Christ an urgent matter? Yeah, absolutely. It. She. She has a new mission, and it's. The, the pictures would just weigh her down. Do we see ourselves as urgently needing Jesus and being willing to just lay aside the things that really don't matter as much so that we can, we can do uh, what's right? Uh, in, verse, in verse 29, we see what she has to say. Uh, come see, we've, we've seen that expression, come and see. We saw that in chapter, in chapter one. This man who told me everything I, I, I ever did, uh, could this be the Christ? It's, we see this invitation for them to, to find out for themselves, to investigate, 
uh, who this person is. Um, very good. Other things that stand out to you. She said, this man told me everything that I ever did. Um, as to whether or not that's complete, we, we, we doubt that that would be the case. But if you look back in verse 25, her conclusion about the Messiah was that when he comes, he will tell us all things. And what had Jesus done? He, he was revealing his identity to, uh, to her. Very good. And so let's get, let's get into the, in the meantime, as we see in verse 31, they, the disciples have come back. They say, Rabbi, it's time to eat. You've been here without any source of food. Please eat. And he says, I have food that you do not know about. That concept of you don't understand. That's something that we've seen in pretty well every interaction up to this point that they, that they don't understand. And so, uh, what do you make of Jesus's, uh, explanation or as he expounds a little bit on, on this, that he has food, that he is full? What does he say his food is? Yeah, to do the will of the, of the Father who sent me to finish his work. Now, let's just st- take a step back. What is food? What is food? Something that sustains you. Okay. Something that sustains you. Good. Yes. Nourishment. Nourishment. It helps make you complete. Good. It fills you up. Good. Satisfies you. It 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 satisfies your physical physical body. Yes. Accomplishment. Sometimes food is really good and yummy. Sometimes food isn't as delicious as we we may have hoped for. And. You see Jesus here, and he is full. He is nourished. He is satisfied. He is enjoying this. Um, We need to ask ourselves, are we hungry for this kind of food? Are we filled? We ought to be. We ought to recognize the hunger that we have in us, not from a, from a carnal uh, and merely mortal component, but actually being hungry to do God, God's will. And whenever we do that, seeing fulfillment in that, not fulfillment in things of this life. Um, we see Jesus mentioned on numerous occasions, and I just picked a couple, where he talks about he's here to do the work of his father. We see that in our next chapter, in uh, in chapter five, uh, verse seventeen. My father is working up till now, and I am working. Uh, we see uh, in chapter seventeen, verse four, with the, uh, that prayer that he offers. He says, "Father, I have done your work. I have completed it." And we see that he he is full uh, from that uh, point of view. Very good. And so he he brings that out, but he goes a step further in verse 35 and, and starts talking about this concept of harvest. You can't really talk much about food and eating without the process of, of the, the how the food is made and so the harvest. Yes, Bob. Here. Uh, I've got so much to do 
Absolutely. J- jumping on a word that you had there and just some other comments that we've made, I have here in my notes that there is an urgent need with the women at the well needing to leave everything to go uh, talk to the people in town. And there are urgent opportunities. It's, it's not something that, you, you know, just take our time with it. And we'll get to it eventually. But to the point that he, that... Uh, whenever we're excited about something or when something really needs to get done, sometimes we will forsake uh, our, our, physical, our physical bodies uh, and sustaining it so that we can get some things done that are important. Very good. All right. Uh, so uh, what conclusions can we make about this idea of a harvest going on? Again, he's trying to move him from the physical thoughts. I mean, he's hitting everything that your body needs to sustain life. The, the, the water up in there, and then he goes on to the food. And now he's saying it's four months until harvest. But I'm telling you, the fields are ripe. Right. So it's like, now, we're not talking about the, the fields. We're talking about re- bringing in, accomplishing very good yeah lift up your eyes open our eyes see the real opportunities that exist that's right Absolutely. Uh, you may have uh, heard this mentioned before in verse 35 that the, that the fields are ready and white for harvest, that the people, uh, Samaritan culture at that time, people generally dressed in white. And so as they were coming out to see for themselves, you could see that, that imagery in there. Um, yes, Brad. Very good point that we talked about even back in chapter one that the Pharisees uh, were looking for the Messiah, that Andrew was looking for the Messiah. This uh, this woman as well, she she has come to this conclusion in anticipation. It's not just something that was sprung up on her. Yes. Sounds like a lot of Samaria was looking for the Messiah because it says they said the man who told me all that I ever did. And this be the Christ, and they went to town. They went right after. She just told them, and they took off to to look to see if that could be the Christ that they're anticipating. Very good. A couple of other points before we move on to our our next section, uh, sort of going off of what Roy mentioned, is the prophets spoke of harvest language. Uh, you can you can maybe mark down Amos. Uh, 9, uh, Psalm 126, there is harvest language. It, and at that point, it seems to denote the idea of uh, returning from captivity and, and having this harvest of the first fruits of, of, the, of the faithful remnant. But to, but to Roy's point, other people had already labored. You can think of the prophets of old. You can think of John the Baptizer as being somebody who had already been starting to do some work. And, they're being, and they are being called to join in. And where we see verse uh, 27, they stand back and like, what is going on here? And they just don't say a word. And Jesus later says in verses 36 through 38... You guys need to get involved too. Don't just stand back in awe, but you need to, you are being called to action and to participate. Very good. 
Let's now uh, transition to the next section. We see in verses uh, 39 through 42... Uh, that the Samaritans are finally there, they, they interact with them. What, what do you make of how they address him and what goes on here? We see that they come out, uh, Based on the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. Yes. Very good. The concept of making their faith their own, that they, that they go out and they ask him to stick around so that they can learn from him. We see, we see the good shepherd sticking around a couple of days so that he can water the sheep. He's taking care of them. He's interacting with them and they are, they are believing based on his word, not on the, the, the word of uh, of this woman. And it's, it's not that she didn't do anything, but she did her part in sharing, in sharing the gospel. Uh, we see, again, they, they urge him to stay a few more days. As Alan pointed out, uh, they say that he is the savior of the Jews, of the world. Even small, Insignificant towns like Sychar. He is the he is the savior of everybody. Not just the people who are righteous in their own eyes, but the people who recognize that they have a checkered past. He is the savior of everyone. Very good point. Uh, we saw in uh, verse 22, as Jesus is having this conversation, he says, salvation is of the Jews through him. And they are coming to this, uh, this conclusion. Um, and we know, we've seen that motif already, that what the, what the woman knew, what Nicodemus knew, we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And how is he going to save through his death. They don't, they don't recognize that. It's sort of like uh, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. He doesn't know the full meaning of what he's saying by that. When he, they say the Savior of the world, they don't know the means by which he is going to save, save the world. And so we see in verses 43 and following that he does stay there. Um, uh, in uh, in that region for two days, and then he went to Galilee. He said that uh, he testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country, uh, and so he when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had all gone to the feast. All right. Yes. Back up one second. Sure. Okay. The section we just talked about, I just thought it was so interesting that in verse 39 it says, And many of the Samaritans in the city believed in him because of the word of this woman. And this woman was one who was kind of an outcast 
in their society anyway because of her situation, or at least she would not have been considered one of the more, more honorable of women, having been divorced and not living with a man who's not her husband, right? But so because of her testimony, and then it said in verse 41, and many more believed because of his own work, because of the time that he spent there teaching. So it's interesting that that there were some that, based on what she said, I don't know why it was, how she could have been so convincing, but she professed to her that he was the Christ, he was the Messiah. But she relayed in such a fashion that some believed her testimony enough to come out there and verify it themselves, and then others, after Christ stayed there for two days. So I just thought it was interesting that, that we see people that we maybe wouldn't think would be um, quality people to profess who Christ is, able to do that and still convince people that Jesus was the Christ the Messiah. Very good. The, the, what we see them basing their conclusion, their faith, their, their uh, belief, their reception, uh, be, uh, seeing that it's based on not, not just her word in verse 41 of his own word. Accepting it, and they're getting the point based on his words, not based on a multitude of other evidences and signs. Um, we see, uh, we already mentioned in in forty five that they, the people uh, that he ends up going to be uh, with in forty five, they receive him based on the signs. In verse 48, we'll talk about this in a moment, that unless you people see signs, you'll by no means believe. Chapter 6 and verse 2, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed. Uh, so many people, he kept getting popular and popular and popular, but it was based on seeing the signs. Whereas in this region, it's the word that is prevailing. And that's all that they needed. Yeah, a couple of things about the the importance of uh, the truth, his behavior. If he spoke the truth, but but his way of speaking was uh, was one that burned her up in judgment, uh, that was not going to convict her. She needed to be convicted. But it was with a heart of love, a heart of compassion, and a heart of truth. That's, that's, that's a good point as well. And I think we've already made mention of this, but we got a lot of lessons here um, on evangelism and, and things that we can use. Uh, the way that we, it's not tools to use, but just the way that we ought to live our lives, the kind of hearts that we should have. Yes, Ms. Ruth. 
Yeah, very, yeah, that's, they, we could say that faith based on these signs is better than no faith at all, but what can be said of faith? What, what kind of faith is, is Jesus looking for? Is it one that just basic, it's based on things that we can visibly see? Or is it based on his word? Uh, and that goes back to our, our point in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. These things are written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. We don't get the, the privilege, so to speak, of seeing these signs and miracles. But we, ha- we have... A, we have faith that it, that is substantial in and of itself because we we do believe. All right, let's now get into this uh, this second of the seven uh, miracles that are performed by Jesus in this book. We already saw the first one in chapter two, which was uh, the wedding at Cana. It's going to be in the same town, and we see that. Uh, uh, so same region, so to speak. Uh, try to try to as we go through this book, try to recall the different places. I think there's an importance behind the places of these miracles. Uh, remembering what the miracles are, what is be, what the sign is. I appreciate Brad commenting on the fact that that these are signs. They point to something else. It's not just an event in and of itself. If we had the miracles of Jesus without his words, we would be robbed of so much of his great teaching. If we had his... And so we need these signs to show some of the authority behind what the words Jesus has has to say here. So let's get into it. Same town, uh, Cana of Galilee, and we see that there is a man from Capernaum, this nobleman, this royal officer uh, that comes. He hears that Jesus has come into town, so Jesus' popularity is increasing, words spreading about him, and he says that he needs to go to him because his son is sick to the point of death. What do you make of, of this, him coming, him imploring, Jesus' reaction to all of this? Well, he sought him, which is important. And so instead of asking for a sign, he sought him for. Yeah. Not for truth, not for main truth, but uh, in faith sought. I can be the bronze serpent over and over again about this, about this seeing before. Uh, yeah, very, very good that uh, uh, going back to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, how, how the Son of Man is going to be raised up and everybody who looks to him in faith. Uh, he's not saying, what sign are you going to show us so that we can believe? He has some faith. He has some belief. Um, yet Jesus says, unless you all see these signs and wonders... You aren't going to believe. Uh, the nobleman, uh, the, this officer, doesn't necessarily refute that. He doesn't get defensive. He just can, he just continues to beg, continues to plead, saying, "Sir, come down before my child dies." Yes, Alan. Very good. The, the idea of urgency in our prayers, urgency in our ministry, it is not something that we can just wait around to do. Yes, Mitch. Uh, you mentioned uh, as we look see these miracles to notice the location. Something that popped in my mind as soon as you said that is not only the location, but who the miracles are for. 
Very good. So yeah, not just the places, but the people. And he is the savior of the world, regardless of social status, gender, age, regardless of all of that, he is here for, for all of us. And that's, that's a very good point. Thank you for, for adding to that. Other things. Does Jesus say... No? Does Jesus say, yes, I will come? He says, go. Go home. Go your way. Your son lives. Your son will live. What's man's response to that? He believes. He doesn't ask anything else. He doesn't stick around and, and uh, argue in, in his mind. I mean, you can imagine yourself. Uh, the, I, I had in one source that it was at least a one day's journey from Capernaum to Cana. That, that it, was a, it wasn't just down the street. It was, it was a long journey. And you can imagine this, this man on his way home thinking about this man that he had heard of and, 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 and going and searching for him and seeking him and looking to him and, all, and, he's, and he says, unless you see signs, you, you'll by no means believe. And then he says, go your way, your son lives. But he does it. He obeys. That's one thing about faith. That's one thing about belief. It acts, and it acts in obedience. I think that's that's something for us to to look at. Yes. Yeah, uh, the, Jesus is not walking hand in hand with him and comforting him and saying, it's going to be okay. He, he's alive. Let me walk you on the way till, till you can be, see, for your son, see for yourself. We'll come back to that. Yes. That's an important thing that faith has to grow. It is never something that is stagnant. It's not, oh, I have faith. Good. We have to keep growing in it. We, we, can, we grow in our faith. That to some extent, uh, there, was, there was an understanding that he could do something. That's why he went and implored him to come and heal his son. Um, but it took the faith to go from asking him to come. He asks to come, but he leaves with him not coming. 
Jesus doesn't answer it the way that he wants it to, but he still answers it. One thing that I, that, um, I, that I thought about as we were as I was going through this, there are a number of times in Scripture that God and Jesus give us promises. And God gives us commands as to what we need to do. Go. Your son lives. Go into all the world. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you and will be with you to the end of the age. God's commands, Jesus' commands, are coupled with his promises. And we can take comfort in that. But we can find conviction in that that we have to get to work. It's, it's not... Uh, you know, we, we have something to hold on to the promises. But you can't just hold on to the promises and, and ignore the commands. We have to take conviction to do that. So, we see the end of... Of this being resolved, uh, he's met on the way. He doesn't even get all the way home. He's met by his servants who say, your son lives. And they find out that it's the exact same time of the healing as when Jesus said to him, your son lives. And what's the result at the end of verse 53? He himself believed. And his whole household. Faith grows, but not just within ourselves, it spreads. That's the kind of faith that we're supposed to have. It's not just something that's me by myself growing in my faith. We are called to have a faith that spreads out. Alan and then Mike. It's curious to me that this man asked when it happened, and he traced it back to the time that he was with Jesus or the prayer he had asked him. And I think sometimes I like to wonder about that myself. When something I pray for or ask someone else to pray for, and I wonder, okay, when did that, when did you pray that? Because this is when this happened. And it just stands out to me that kind of faith is, is curious about the workings of God. Very, very good. The, how he, Just how he recognizes that. He, I mean, he investigates, he, he asks and, and finds out that it's the same time. It wasn't, your son lives. Well, good. He, he, his mind goes to Jesus. His mind doesn't go, oh, great, I'm so glad. Let's, let's go back to our lives as normal. Mike. I have to wonder if Peter, when he was writing his epistle, uh, 1 Peter, if he... If, if this if this came to mind this uh, this what he what, what he saw Jesus do with this guy because in First Peter one six and seven says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be that you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ and I think here you know we see this man this nobleman. He comes to this revelation that this is Jesus Christ. I, I, that, that there's no other, no other way in my mind that, that he could, it could state that he believed and he walked away when Jesus said, your son lives. He didn't keep demanding to show me a sign. He walked away in faith, having his faith being tested by fire. This was the fire to go without actually seeing and trust that what he said was going to take place. Good point that... The kind of faith it takes to go without seeing Jesus visibly with, with him. Um, that's the kind of faith we are called to do. We are to go our way. We are called to go on our mission for Jesus without seeing him, but being mindful of his promises. So, so something I see in this lesson again, the, uh, the, the first Sign of Cana, we see Jesus' power to transform 
from water to not just better water, but to wine. Here we see the promises that, that Jesus gives and that we can, we can enjoy these, uh, the blessings when we submit to him and we, we follow in faith. It's not blind faith, but it, it, it is faith in him and in his word. Very good. Other thoughts going through here. Yes, Anne. Very good. Yes, that that uh, going back to what uh, what Thomas said in chapter twenty, and ver- and then in twenty nine, we see Jesus's response uh, of "Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe." We see life in the name of Jesus in this miracle. By the authority, by the character of Jesus, we see life in his name through belief. What other things do you see uh, in here um, as we as we wrap it up and try to make connections with maybe chapter 1, verses 1 through 18? Yes, Raymond and then Blaine. Jesus is using him for evangelism. And we see a lot of that through through this section of the book. Um, really, we see a lot about evangelism so far in every chapter so far, about what John the Baptist did, about what Andrew and, and Philip do, about what Jesus is doing with, with Nicodemus and with the Samaritan woman. We see that with, uh, with, the, with this officer as well. Yes, boy. The city of Samaria... Is ten miles north of Sychar. Just wonder what connection this will have with, with Philip going there several years later. Okay. Yeah. The that. Now, where is that that you're referring to? Acts eight. Okay. Yeah. That. Uh, all right. That that. Uh, the work that Philip does later on, perhaps some kind of connection with that. Very good. Yes, Chris. I find it difficult to keep up with John's counting. He said this is the second sign. What was the first one? I think the first one in, in this instance is, was the telling the woman her history. Because it says this is the second one since he came from Judea. And at the start of the chapter, he comes from Judea. And if you go back all the way to chapter 2, it says he was in Jerusalem and he did many signs and the people were believing in him. Now, I don't know if the chronology is exactly right, but this certainly wasn't his second. I mean, it, it appears in the way it's written, this wasn't the second miracle, second sign that he had done. But it may have been the second one in this trial. So I don't know what the counting, what the, you know, what is the importance of that all along? Is that, is that, are you following what I'm saying? I, I think so. Um, I always thought the first miracle was the water to wine, and this was the second one. But he says, here, this is the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea. If you go back to the very first verse of the chapter, he left... Verse three: He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And then, then we have the woman being told her history as a sign. And then we have the 
the the next the healing then of this official son is the second one since the time of leaving Judea. Good question. Um, Yes. And then does he go any farther with number three, number four? There's no more, you know. (laughs) It's like one, one and two, and then we're done counting. Perhaps the reference of coming out of Judea into Galilee is at chapter 1, he's in Judea. Whenever he, whenever he is in Bethany beyond the Jordan in chapter 1, verse 28, that's in the southern region that he is in. Transjordan, albeit, but uh, perhaps... Perhaps that is what's in reference. It could be second. I, I, I do not know what's the point of him stopping it to. Mission, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Some, some translations render it miraculous sign. I don't know what to make of that. In response to your question, did you have another comment? Okay, very good. All right, thank you all for your comments.